Welcome to the GRC Professional Podcast, where we discuss all things GRC. I think compliance people are under, as I said, a lot of pressure. I recently heard of someone saying to a compliance person that a regulatory guide didn't have to be followed because it was only a guide. Um, <laughs> yes, it's it's only a guide, but but regrettably that that's the guide as to how ASIC will interpret the law. Welcome back to the GRC Professional Podcast. This episode is a return to the GRC 101 series that we started last year, where we look at some of the basic obligations for AFSLs. In this episode, we'll look at RG234 and advertising financial products and services. I hope you enjoy this episode. Welcome to the GRC Professional Podcast. My name is Kwame Slusher. I'm the editor of the GRC Professional Magazine. And today we have two guests. We're back to our 101 series looking at some essential things that you should be paying attention to if you are an Australian financial licensee. And we have Naomi Burley, our managing director. And we have our regulatory expert after such a long time, Carol Ferguson. Hi, Carol. How are you doing? Oh, thank you very much, Kwame. And yes, I am still your regulatory expert after (laughs) such a long time. (laughs) So today we're going to have a discussion about RG234, which is looking at advertising and financial products and services. And I'm going to jump straight into it with the first question, you know, starting with the obvious, you know, what is RG234 and why is it critical to be discussing it right now? Okay, the reason it's critical to discussing it right now is because of some recent ASIC regulatory action which has um, forced seven REs to engage in quite significant review, um, rewriting, reissuing of of both advertisements and PDSs. That happened in June and reference and Karen Chester put out a reasonably um, firm um, opinion about the action that was being taken. And it's and it's um, fair to say that ASIC is now looking closely at advertisements and particularly because of COVID-19, RG234 is a, is a um, regulatory guide which has been in existence since November 2012, but I think there are still a lot of people out there who haven't got that imprinted yet in their brain and are therefore, you know, just saying, oh, well, you know, we can take reasonable care and all those sorts of things. But it's But the way that people are accessing information, use of the internet, et cetera, et cetera, are forcing changes, at least forcing the regulators to take more firm action against certain um, operatives. So, so I guess the next question is why did we have to wait for regulators to be taking serious action for organisations to be getting this piece right? <laughs> Look, I think it's fair to say that a lot of, of um, compliance people have been under a lot of pressure from their organisations. Compliance people are often not brought into the development of the of the advertising program until it's actually been finalised. It's gone through an ad agency. Here's the here's the um, the basis of what we're going to do, and then there's a lot of pressure on them to remove disclaimers, reduce disclaimers down to something which is gobbledygook if it's read out on an on a radio ad barely legible by anybody if it's in an advertisement, etc. So I think there are a number of issues from that point of view. People know they don't they have to put past performance is not an indicator or a reliable indicator of future performance. But that's become trite and mm-hmm. and people are certainly using that in circumstances where it will not justify the use of um, past performance 
information. So looking at COVID-19, the last six months, as we know, it's only been six months, have been a trying time for financial services with very many firms undergoing quite a, um, a deal of, of um, concern about their operations and performance of their funds. So if you had a, a fund which was, say, returning 8% in, in, as at December um, 2019, to use that figure going forward may in itself be unreliable and, in fact, misleading because the nature of the investments of the fund may not, in fact, um, permit you to use that as a future figure in any, in any context. I think I, I'd throw in here too as well, Carol, do you think that um, regulatory guidance is necessary for the compliance person to be able to pull that up and say to the marketing department, there's actually some rules around this. You can't just show off the shiny details of this wonderful new product you've all developed and spent six months developing. Um, you need to bear in mind the customer sophistication and a few other considerations. Yeah, look, I think compliance people are under, as I said, a lot of pressure. I recently heard of someone saying to a compliance person that a regulatory guide didn't have to be followed because it was only a guide. Um, yes, it's it's only a guide, but, but regrettably that, that's the guide as to how ASIC will interpret the law. And if you choose to ignore it, then ASIC will in fact take action against you. So, you know, putting a a spin on the, the lack of importance of a regulatory guide, in fact, doesn't allow anybody to, to really move forward in a, in a um, appropriate, um, compliant way and certainly says to the regulator, well, look, we, we just are not interested in doing the right thing. You know, it's very important that um, particularly now, I mean, as in every time, but particularly now, um, compliance folk have a little spine and, and are able to say no because, you know, we all know that Hain pointed out the importance of good compliance and the essential nature of that for the operation of businesses. So now if, if never is the time for you to stand up and say, I'm really sorry, that's not going to work. Here are the reasons why, A, B and C, and, you know, that's it. And you won't. No law firm is going to sign off on on a document which isn't compliant with with RG two thirty four. So you've actually got some people mm. on your side as well. Mm. I think the other thing to factor in as well at the moment, there's you know different customers' behaviour going on um, during COVID, but there's also a real there's a physical disconnect between the people developing the products they want to go out to market with, the marketing team and the compliance team. And right now it, it's, it's uh, the onus is on compliance to connect all the time with these different areas to ensure that they are across it, they, that, they, that they know that something is being released because it would be very, very easy for a lot of this stuff to go up on the website and go up somewhere now um, because a physical copy is not going to come across your desk. Yeah, and, and look, I totally agree with you, um, Naomi, and this comes down to compliance being active, extremely active in the training um, component of their role to actually ensure that um, all of the relevant entities that operate within your firm, so whether that's fund managers, marketing, senior management, etc., understand what ASIC's perspective is on a particular issue and how it is that the organisation itself can comply. 
So if you're a, um, a, a compliance person, you would take your marketing people away at, at the moment and give them a, a Zoom meeting, just like everybody needs another one, but a Zoom meeting on RG234 and what that means in terms of how they should produce um, advertisements. It may mean you could put together a advertising guidelines. And, in fact, every, every firm should have a policy on advertising, but, you know, and it must make reference to RG234. But there are other ones that are, are just as important and, and need to be considered. So RG53, use of past performance, RG228, effective disclosure of, of, of various issues, of recent um, investments, etc. And so it's very, very important that people actually understand what it is that they're, they're doing, but they give to to the other staff sufficient information so that they can do their job because mm -hmm. compliance isn't just about us sitting there and going, oh, no, you're doing it wrong. It's actually about setting framework. That's right. That's right, and supporting them through that. Yeah. So this is a question I'm sort of throwing out to both of you, um, and it's on that sort of natural language uh, processing piece. So speaking of compliance and being able to take, talk to the board, if the compliance professional could say to the board that, well, look, um, ASIC is trying out this bit of supervisory technology to be able to have a closer look at your advertisements, should that, I guess, have an impact on how they approach compliance when it comes to marketing and advertising? The, the simple answer is yes. This has been a very long-term uh, project for ASIC. They flagged it very early in the piece, at least, what, three ASIC forums ago, that they were very enthusiastic about being engaged in supervisory technology and the first cab off the rank that they have tested and retested with and, and publicly run forums about the testing of it um, is the natural language processing because their concerns have always been about good consumer outcomes and it's that interface. So now is the time to also be really aware of um, not even just the old PDSs that are sitting in a bank branch somewhere, which I know once upon a time was a concern, making sure they aren't handed out, it's now making sure everything on your website, everything you send out is compliant because this supervisory technology is being created to look at PDSs, look at advertising, look at advice, you know, that whole um, gamut and to learn. So we can't get cleverer than the rules that might be set up in the technology um, and work your way around them. So it, it's going back to basics. What's in your customer's best interest? What do they need to know about um, this product and, you know, what's being honest and upstanding about it? If it's such a great product, you shouldn't need to hide anything about it. I think that the, the issue really comes down to it's not enough about explaining to someone, here's a complex product and it's explained to you in simple language. It's here's a complex product and here is the risks of that complex product explained to you in ways that you will understand. So, you know, it, it can be, this is a complex product that requires you to always be on alert to changes in the market. You need to be a sophisticated computer um, user, etc., so that people can understand and, and effectively, hopefully, um, move themselves out from using those products. I mean, this is why regulators are looking at um, contracts for difference because they're an incredibly and inherently complex product and, and may not be suitable for most re retail investors. I mean, there will be a portion of sophisticated retail investors that it might meet 
they, they may be able to understand them, but not every retail mum and dad can. And so regulators are now looking at saying there are some products that are inherently more sophisticated and complex and aren't going to be ever able to be explained to the average retail investor. It's, mm. a, bit, it's a bit like um, trying to explain black hole physics to an, to an ordinary person who is not a physicist. Mm. And, and in some cases, they just can't be explained. Yeah. And, and, and to Kwame's earlier question, what that natural lingering processing and supervisory technology project means is that ASIC will be able to free up some resources so they'll have a wider spread um, and they will be able to free up some resources to analyse behaviours that are occurring in the market in a more sophisticated way. And we saw that at yesterday's ASIC update. They're revealing figures, you know, around their concerns around retail customer behaviours in the COVID market. Um, given it's a volatile market, they are very, very concerned that there are customers out there engaging in um, buying products that they shouldn't be buying. Um, and they're able to look at that data now and, and have a little bit more time. So they've got a lot more of their risk management mitigation strategies in play now as well. And boards should be very cognizant of the fact that this is one small thing. It's a very easy ping for now for ASIC to get you on it. Um, and you need to be really focusing on the end game for your customer. Yeah, and look, I, um, ASIC has, has now, sorry, formed a group whose job it is to now to now do analysis of advertisements. And so that group is going to be doing more hands-on work, um, looking at individual ads that are appearing in the, in the press, not waiting for complaints, which has been a a very large component of ASIC's work is from complaints from other entities about competitors' products, as an example. Um, and that that will enable them to run that ad through the through the processes of this um, natural learning um, um, process and then say, what is the average reading age required for that particular advertisement? And having put that overlay on it, so using language which is not too technical, et cetera, what is the complexity of the information that's in, in fact being imparted? And, and again, as I said, there will be some products that just simply can't be offered to retail um, investors using mm. those, those parameters. Mm. So they can focus on both, both ends of this much more effectively now with this. And so I'm not surprised that at least seven people have been picked up because they're now being able to gather a much bigger data pool. As you pointed out, Carol, they're not waiting for people to complain about an ad that they may have missed. Um, they've got tech out there searching for it. Yeah, that's right. So so when you look at what ASIC's now doing and the the action they've taken, seven, sorry, seven actions against REs is a lot, um, particularly out of one, you know, relatively small low-level campaign that, there wasn't a lot of notice out in the market about people being concerned about. For something to have the impact that there are seven REs that have had quite significant but, you know, relatively um, low-level um, enforcement, i.e. there haven't been any EUs or anything at the moment, and I say at the moment, they may still be pending, but, you know, they're focusing at the moment on fixing and then taking the regulatory action as well, I think, in the future. So there may be some action being taken. But also to, to send a very, very important um, sorry, message to the market 
we're not going to put up with that stuff anymore. You know, you have to expect that we will be coming and we'll be, you know, using extremely strong regulatory action against you. Mm-hmm. And, and boards should be expecting this. It's a very volatile time and we have increasing numbers of vulnerable customers. Yeah, um, and, and I look, I totally agree and I think, you know, boards need to be more active. It used to be that boards would approve of advertisements before they went out into the market. I think that's now a delegated power and, you know, so the head of marketing may not even show anyone in particular, you know, particularly what they're doing on a day-to-day basis. They may show for high-ticket items such as television ads, but if it's just a, um, a pop-up ad on LinkedIn or, or you know, Gumtree or whatever, they're not necessarily going to be ones that are going to be actually seen even by the CEO. So I'm going to have to interrupt you real quick because I think we've run a bit over time. I was, uh, How surprising, Connie. <laughs> No, but it's a really good discussion. I think we should really end on how can how can entities get this right? I mean, how, what is the solution to to getting your organization to take this advertising seriously? Okay, I think that from my perspective, as I said, one, you need to be across um, RG two fifty three two thirty four. Sorry, it has to yeah. be absolutely front and center in your mind. The second is that. You need to do training for all levels within your organisation who who are in the um, product promoting space and also a financial advice so that the people are aware of what the guidelines are. You need to be seen as an active participant in the development of those ads so that you can add your regulatory overlay early before an ad is finalised. And you also have to have some flexibility within that. But RG234 provides a number of extremely good examples of scenarios where there is good and bad disclosure. So really carefully read it and we'll give you some good examples as to how to do your job a bit better for the future. Yeah, yeah. And and my my sort of two key points I'd throw in is that um, compliance as enablers, as Carol said, training and support having a good underlying policy that mirrors and gives good examples to the marketing department of RG234. You may not expect your marketing department to read it, but if you have a policy that they read and that they reference and that they can check that they are adhering to, that's a good start. Um, You should have a final, be able to cast your eye across it and you should have such a good relationship with them that they don't expect to have to have all their work unpicked at the end of it because they've had the they've had the training they've had the guidance and you're a final check and balance for them to go through and just double check and then they can tweak things it should be at a tweaking stage by the time it gets to you but it should very definitely get to you yes absolutely and and I think it's just as I said having the courage of your convictions it's about you're not going to be the clog on getting an advertisement out of the out of the organization but you are going to ensure that the directors don't spend quality time with regulators. And then I know that they'll thank you for that more than they than anything else. Excellent. Well, thank you very much, Naomi and Carol. Um, and we look forward to the next exciting one-on-one discussion, whatever that might be. This podcast was a production of the Governance Risk and Compliance Institute. And the music was produced by Rob Neary.